Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to welcome Doug Plucknett. Doug is a consultant, trainer, and practitioner at Allied Reliability Group in Rochester, New York. Doug started in the Pipe Fitter Apprentice Program at Eastman Kodak in 1981 and worked his way up to become a maintenance supervisor and reliability engineer. He left Kodak in 1999 and founded Reliability Solutions Incorporated, consulting on reliability-centered maintenance. He joined Allied Reliability Group in 2007 and lives now in Rochester, New York. Doug is the author of Reliability-Centered Maintenance Using RCM Blitz and Clean, Green, and Reliable, both publications available at reliabilityweb.com. Doug, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Tim. It's good to be with you. Doug, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard of Reliability-Centered Maintenance, or RCM, but could you give us a quick definition and explain how RCM is different from preventive maintenance? Um, in terms of RCM and the difference between reliability-centered maintenance and preventive maintenance, RCM looks at a complete maintenance strategy, um, which includes uh, what some folks call predictive tasks. Uh, in the world of RCM, we call them on-condition tasks. That's using some type of technology to detect failures early on. Uh, whether it's vibration analysis, thermography, uh, ultrasound, uh, there's lots of technologies out there that can be used, as well as failure finding tasks to check for hidden functions of, uh, or for failures of hidden function components. So PM is really, uh, is just time-based, and it only really applies to about 7% of the components in a given factory. Uh, and that's coming from several studies, uh, first study done by Nolan and Heap, uh, all the way to a study that I did in, in 2003 uh, to show that the components we have in the manufacturing world uh, fit the same type of profiles as we do in the airline industry. I'm sorry, you said that only 7% of the, uh, um, you were talking about preventive maintenance, only covering a very small percentage of the available uh, um, space when it comes to uh all this. Yes, um, Nolan and Heaps data said that 11% of our failures were wear-based. Uh -huh. um, and when I look at those, that 11%, uh, it's certainly more cost-effective to apply some type of on-condition task uh, as opposed to a PM where we need to stop and be in, intrusive in looking to see or measure where. Mm -hmm. uh, if we can do that with a technology where the equipment is running, then that number drops from 11% to seven. And, and I would say in reality, it's, it's probably even closer to five these days. Wow. With the improvements of uh, uh, predictive technologies that are out there. Boy, you know, there's a lot of people that hang their hat on preventive maintenance. You know, they really believe that this is, uh, uh, you know, a pretty significant element of any uh, quality and reliability program. It's, I guess it's a little surprising that it's not as, um, it may not be as effective as a, a lot of people believe. Well, it's only effective on things that are wear-based and are measurable, right? right. Uh, we don't want our PMs to be subjective where somebody says, you know, check the pump or check the belts. What, what does that mean? Let's 
let's measure where we can measure our where and from those measures say all right what was uh, this component what how did it measure out when it was new how much is it worn and how much further can it wear before it will fail or no longer provide uh, the function necessary to keep the equipment running Got it. so if our PMs aren't measurable they're, they're really not effective yeah that makes sense you know, um, Doug, your book and your blog describe a methodology called RCM Blitz. I, I wonder if you could help us understand exactly what RCM Blitz is and uh, what some of the advantages are for that technique. All right. RCM Blitz is a methodology I developed uh, way back in the 1990s, about the mid-90s, when I was at night school at RIT here in, in Rochester, uh, going for reliability engineering courses. Uh, I had been introduced to uh, a couple different forms of reliability-centered maintenance, and uh, none of them really focused on manufacturing equipment and the issues we deal with in maintaining manufacturing equipment. They were all done in instances like the airline industry or in the nuclear power industry where, you know, you could have these catastrophic failures that result in the loss of uh, multiple lives, whereas in a manufacturing plant, uh, especially those that I had worked in, Eastman Kodiak had a wonderful safety record. Uh, it was very, very rare that somebody would be killed at work. Sure. Uh, in all the years that I worked at Kodiak, uh, which was 19, I, I want to say our safety record, uh, we had been 50 years without an on-site fatality. And that's a company that employed over 100,000 people, right? So I looked at how they were doing RCM, and I said, really, what we need to understand is what are our critical assets? Let's apply RCM to that because there's some time investment involved in doing RCM. Uh, and so let's apply it to critical assets where that are struggling and uh, where we can do this process and then get a return on investment for the time it takes to train people, perform the analysis, implement the tasks, and actually perform the task. And uh, so I put this process together and said, gee, in the environment that we're working in today, where a maintenance manager and operations manager tend to, those roles tend to change every two or three years, I needed something that we could go in, do a, a quick analysis, get things implemented, and show results in less than six months. Because if I could get their intention in that kind of time frame, then it would be something that they'd stick to. They'd say, we need to do more of these. And that thought process actually worked. Uh, we developed a database where we can uh, not only facilitate, but enter data live and uh, also developed a way to say, let's figure out a way that we can make the analysis come off within a week. So do the entire analysis in one week and then spend between a month and three months uh, implementing it. And once we start implementing, then we can show results. And that's that's really been the key of why RCM Blitz has been successful is that we can go in and very quickly show results and how show people the importance of doing the right things in regard to maintenance. You know, I, I, I agree a, a thousand percent. Uh, you know, anytime you can uh, show some quick results and build credibility, it really helps uh, get people on board. You know, this me methodology you described sounds a lot like Kaizen blitz is that sort of what what gave you the idea uh yeah kaizen had been around um i think it actually came to when i was at kodak came after blitz uh -huh. um 
of which I had nothing to do with, but uh, uh, it's a similar thought process to say, let's focus on something. Uh, one of the things I will say is RCM is, is a bit more disciplined than what Kaizen is. Uh, we've got seven uh, steps that we follow that come from the SAE standard uh-huh. uh, for RCM, and we, we stick to those things. So it, it's a pretty rigorous process, and that's why I, I made the decision, let's do this on critical assets assets as opposed to just saying, okay, go out and pick something and do an RCM on it and you'll get results. Uh, well, that might be true. Uh, I'm the type of person that learned uh, that in maintenance, one of the things that we were lacking is that the business skill to show operations managers and then beyond that uh, upper level executives, the payback for investing and doing the right things in maintenance. and. That's really what I wanted to be able to show is this whole thing connects and it makes tremendous business sense right down to measuring overall equipment effectiveness and uh, the impact that doing an RCM can have on even we've had examples where we've lowered unit cost of product by doing RCM. And when you can show that to uh, not only an operations manager, but a corporate executive, all of a sudden they're, they're very interested in what's going on. Yeah, well, that's definitely where the rubber meets the road, right? Doug, I, I, I wanted to reflect a little bit on your professional background. You've had a very interesting uh, career path uh, going from a pipe fitter and a journeyman up to reliability engineer and now an RCM trainer. Um, can you talk a little bit about how your experience uh, in all these different roles has helped you in your consulting work? Well, that's one of the things I think that makes me stick out and makes me different when it comes to other consultants is I, I've been that person that's, that's in the trench. I've been the person that's been called in uh, in the middle of the night or she uh, said I've been called in on Christmas Day before. Sure. To deal with some type of operations or production emergency. And um, I also know the value of uh, what I learned in my apprentice program. And I, I tell people that on a regular basis. That there's things that I learned uh, as an apprentice that uh, I still apply today as I'm doing RCM and, and trying to get people to understand there's a right way to do maintenance in a wrong way, right? Most of our failures, and I'm working on getting, doing data on this now, some, some mass data to support the fact that most of our failures today are really resolved from poorly installing our equipment, doing a poor job, whether it's alignment, balancing, torque, uh, pipe stress, you name it. I mean, there's all types of things that we that are going on out there because we aren't doing a good job of formally training and certifying our people that we allow to go out and maintain our assets. Uh, worse than that are the, the folks that are installing them, right? What's your background? What's your experience? Well, uh, I've, I've worked with customers in the, in the last two years that, you know, I see equipment being installed to go out and, and ask people, you know, Please explain why you hooked up this pump this way where there's not enough straight run on the suction of this. This is never going to work the way it is. And, and Bill will say, well, that's the way it was on the drawing. What well, doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> you have to challenge that. As a, as a tradesperson, if, if the engineer didn't pick it up, somebody needs to say something or the, the, the people that bought that and paid for it are going to live with that issue for the rest of the time they have that asset. Because companies just don't spit out money to fix things that weren't done right when they were installed. Right. No, no, I, 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 it's, it's despite 
every all of all of our improvements and despite all the technology, people are, can still be the weak link, right? Exactly, and that's the the thing is that you know I'm reading about and almost biting my tongue on some of the stuff that's out there today with with the you know the industrial Internet of Things and big data, and I'm saying to myself, you know, if we can't install it right in the first place, all that stuff is meaningless. That's a very good point. Right, none of this is new, by the way. Uh, the industrial Internet of Things has been around so long as there's been a PLC or a DCS to operate our equipment. <laughs> That's right. Did we take the time to teach our people to understand the relationships of the process um, that we're operating? Right. What's the relationship between pressure, temperature, flow, timing, amp draw, all those things we can build relationships and correlations from? And we've been able to do that for for more than 30 years. Right. Uh, and in that 30 years, uh, it's sad to say, apprentice programs and formal training have gone away. And the state of what I'm seeing out there is in terms mm -hmm. of the skills that are available to companies, they have less options today than they had 30 years ago. How about that? So we need to reinvest in those apprentice programs. And I, and I, I know that... Uh, uh, hopefully that will never become a political thing. It seems like everybody I talk to, regardless of where they fall on a political spectrum, says, yeah, you're right, Doug, we need to get companies involved in apprentice programs again. You know, Doug, this reminds me a little bit. When when we spoke earlier, um, you were telling me the difference about the, the difference between lighting a fire under people versus lighting a fire within people. Yeah. Um, can can you elaborate a little more on that for our listeners? Uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I was so lucky to learn when I started at Kodak is I, I started in a group that uh, um, it was all, we had 28 guys in our maintenance work center, and of the 28, 26 of us were under 30 years old. And uh, I had no idea when I when I first went there why that was, and then after a couple of weeks kind of found out that, well, we were all there and because... Uh, the work was heavy and it was a lot of it was outside. It was either really hot or really cold. And in Rochester, it can get cold and snowy and nasty. So 50% of our equipment, or I should say 70% of our equipment was outside. 30% was inside. The stuff that was inside in the summer was, it was miserable hot. And I'm talking 120 degrees or more plus humidity. And uh, it was heavy and it was dirty. And uh, it, we work together as a group with this thing where I say, you know, light the fire within. We work together as a team and, and lit the fire within each other almost as a competition to say, how much better can we make this place run? Right. Because we can't continue to do the same things over and over again. You know, when I first got there, it was plugging of condensers and chemical pipelines and using uh, high pressure water to clean those things out. You know, again, it's either you're in the freezing cold or the hot and, and it's dirty. And I'm thinking to myself, this isn't what a pipe fitter does. A pipe fitter doesn't clean pipes, for crying out loud. A pipe fitter puts them together and, and makes them better. And it was, okay, I need to learn how this process works because I know it's not supposed to plug. Right? And we had a, uh, a supervisor that was a young engineer that uh, he enjoyed uh, working with his hands as well. And so if we worked over her time he'd come out and he just loved getting into things with in the toolboxes with us and and it was from him that i learned all right here's how this process works 
And the reason they're plug-in is because there really needs to be a program written to ramp the boiler at a certain rate and temperature so that the temperature goes up gradually rather than blowing all this chemical up into a and condenser all at once and plugging it off. And those are the things he taught me. He used to say, you know, don't scrape the toast, right? Go out and fix the toaster. We've been scraping toast for years, right? That's how we ended up getting a, a pressure washer. The first one we had was 10,000 PSI. The next one we got was 25,000 PSI. All that did was make cleaning out junk faster. What we needed to do was stop plugging stuff up. There you go. And that's how you light the fire within people. When you teach them all of a sudden that, you know, your job is more than just putting those flanges together and putting gaskets together and, and fitting pipe and cleaning out pipelines. It's, you can help make this place run better. And oh, less than 10 years, that work center size went from 28 down to 16, and nobody was fired. It was all attrition. People were like myself, you know, you uh, got opportunities to go out and do bigger and better things. And that's kind of what inspired me to go back to night school was, you know, I think in my bio, you said I was a maintenance supervisor. Well, gee, I thought that was going to be the best job ever. And when I got it, I, I found out this is awful. <laughs> I, I can't do this the rest of my life. And the reason why I say it was awful, by the way, is Kodak was downsizing. So you know, one of the first things I had to do was, uh, okay, here's the next two people that need to be tapped and told they're laid off. And I, I said to myself, I, you know, my innards won't take with us, right? It just, just doesn't fit with, with who I am. And so it was, okay, it's time to go back to school. Right. I do believe in, you know, light the fire within people. That will to succeed and, and improve uh, uh, is it's magical in people. It really is. And, uh, People will say, well, did you get rewarded for those things? And, you know, I don't think reward was ever what the thought of it was. How can I make my life easier? How can I make this place better? And the, the rewards, rewards, yeah, they, they kind of came along with it. But realistically, I, I took more pride in uh, working with people to say, how do we how do we make things better? That really motivates folks when, when they can see that change. That makes a lot of sense. Doug, um, could you uh, could you comment on any other mistakes that you see managers making when they're trying to improve reliability? Um, gosh, more than anything, it's uh, you know we all have this, and I shouldn't say we all have because uh, that's that's really being general. There seems to be this thing with managers today that if I don't do something different, then I haven't put my mark on on how I made this place better. Right. And I see managers come in and, and they won't even wait six months. It'll be weeks and they'll stop doing something, whether it was something good or whether it was something bad, just to put their own mark on, okay, we're not going to do RCM anymore. We're going to do root cause analysis. And I go, well, you need to do both. All right. And the fact that you were doing RCM and not RCA tells me, you know, what you need is more education or, <laughs> Dropped RCM and start doing Kaizen, and I'd, I'd say, well, yep, those are two different things again, right? Don't s stop doing something that's good, right? Take six months and look to say, all right, what do we got going on in this place that's working, and what are the things that aren't working? And if you talk to the the people, whether they're maintenance or operations people, they'll tell you that. They'll tell you what what works and what doesn't work, 
right? And that's one of the challenges I, I put to the teams that I work with when I'm doing RCM. I, I say, I never leave on a Friday and have a group tell me, wow, Doug, that was, that was so much fun. I can't wait to do another one. <laughs> They'll look at me and the same response that you just did that, that laugh. And I go, but if you implement this and three months from now, you start to see the difference. You'll be the first person on the phone to say, we need to do more of these. And your life will change, right? People know what, what works. And when you show them that, when you show them they have the power, and that's the, the magic really of RCM is I'll get a group in on Monday morning and five people, and I'll sit them down on the table and I'll say, all right, before we get started, I want you to know I asked for the five best people that knew the most about this process, and you were the people that were picked. Right. So right away. They're learning, okay, I'm being recognized for something. And I said, now, I'm also going to ask you the question, have you ever sat at a table, the five of you, and had this discussion that if they'd only listened to us, this place would run so much better? <laughs> and I get the head nods, and I go, this is that opportunity. Wow. Right? This is that you're given, you've been given that opportunity. So we're going to sit here and we're going to talk about this process and what we need to do to make it better this week. And what I need you to do is make sure it gets implemented because many times what we talk about this week, they'll want to pass off to somebody else to say, okay, we want the planner to implement that. Or we want the maintenance supervisor to implement it. Or we want the operations supervisor to implement it. Or we want an engineer to implement it. I need you to make sure it gets implemented. Whoever gets charged with doing that, you need to ride them until it gets done. This is your opportunity to be able to say, we've been saying for years, if they listen, it'll run better. This is that opportunity. Don't waste them. That's great. I know. I, I agree a thousand percent. We got to, we got to, we got to give a voice to the people that are actually doing the work that people are actually on the line and see what's, uh, what's really going on. And they know, they know what their problems are and, that's one of my favorite parts about the RCM book that I wrote is I tell the story of my, uh, my son asking me questions about this process when he was only 14. And I had been out working on an oil platform and going back and forth on a helicopter, and I was showing him pictures. And he said to me, Dad, what do you know about oil platforms? And I said, I don't know anything. Right. And he looks at me, he says, then why are, you why are they flying you out there? I said, well, I have a process where I ask questions and then – uh, fill in this database, and we develop a maintenance plan. So you tell them what to maintain. I said, no, I ask them questions, and they tell me what they need to do. How about that? And then he looks at me, and he says, Dad, how long do you think this will work? Right? And his thought process was, that they already know? I said, yeah, they do. And he said, why do they need you? <laughs> yeah, well, and there's a lot. You're, uh, you're helping, you're you're. You're opening their eyes, yeah. right? <laughs> and, that's, and that's what I tell them. They need me for structure. They need me for discipline. They need me for a salesperson for their, to be their voice, right? Sure. D Doug, this has been great. Thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. I've enjoyed it myself. And uh, if ever want to do another one on a different topic, I'd be more than happy to. Ah, that sounds great. That was Doug Plucknett, principal at Allied Reliability Group. For more information about RCM Blitz, you can follow Doug's blog at www.rcmblitzblog.com. 
We'll post the links to his publications to the show notes for this podcast. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you.